Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome to rams up an la rams podcast with a sprinkling of coverage on other SoCal sports teams, college and pro. You can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at ramsup.com. Let's get to it. Got a lot to cover this episode. Let's get going. Real quickly, though, I wanted to give a shout-out to USC and UCLA. They both advanced to the Elite Eight, along with Oregon State. So three Pac-12 teams in the Elite Eight. Throwing Gonzaga, the clear favorite at this point, four West Coast teams in the Elite Eight. So kind of nice. Good job representing two interesting stories I wanted to touch on in depth here. One was that Niner trade. They moved up to number three in the draft, sacrificing two future first-round picks. Looks like they're going to draft Trey Lance, the quarterback, although there are those that think they may opt for Justin Fields, the quarterback out of Ohio State. Either way, they're going to be bringing on a young, talented quarterback. So the remaining question is, what happens with Jimmy G? Do they keep Jimmy G around for a year while they groom his replacement, or is Jimmy G on the trading block? Be interesting to see. It'll also be interesting to see if the Niners get the same amount of criticism the Rams have received 
for making similar trades. The other thing that caught my attention was Lindsay Theory's article covering the deteriorating relationship between Goff and McVeigh over the last two years. The one thing that she highlighted was that McVeigh became increasingly frustrated with Goff's inability to capitalize on open receivers that were schemed by the play design, essentially. I think a lot of us probably suspected that and even saw it, but and some of us were probably in denial about that. It's not uncommon for a quarterback not to see an open receiver, but apparently Goff was not improving it with this aspect of his game, and you could see how a guy like McVeigh drawing up these incredible plays that should result in open receivers and then your quarterback not being able to capitalize on those open receivers. Another thing that Theory wrote about was how early on in their relationship, Goff was treated with the so-called kid gloves, which annoyed some other players who did not receive the same treatment. But as things progressed, McVeigh resorted to yelling, screaming, and cursing at Goff during practice and on the sideline. So the pendulum swung the other way as McVeigh became more and more frustrated with Goff's inability to see the plays as they were developing and finding those open receivers. Bottom line is, it looked like it was time for these two to part ways. Good thing that they did. Again, I encourage you to go find Lindsay's article. It's really interesting. Quickly get you caught up on some other things going on. Malcolm Butler brings his 17 career interceptions and two Super Bowl rings to the Arizona Cardinals. He'll be playing cornerback for them. Cardinals continue to try to improve that defense, mostly with experienced guys. The Seahawks are bringing back Carlos Dunlap. Two years, $16.6 million. He had five sacks in eight games for them last year. More of an impact than I expected. Sammy Watkins has been signed by the Ravens. Austin Blythe is still out there. I think the Rams could still bring him back, but surprised it has not happened already. So maybe the Rams are looking at the draft to fill that center position. Richard Sherman had an interesting interview where he talked up Matthew Stafford. If you listen to that interview, you'd almost think Richard Sherman would like to play for the Rams. He is from L.A., Compton to be specific. Maybe he wants to return to L.A. and wants to jump on that Ram bandwagon and maybe get another Super Bowl ring. Rams are thin at cornerback. I don't think Sherman's going to start ahead Darius Williams or Jalen Ramsey, obviously. But that added depth and experience, can't say no to that. I ran across an interesting stat. Someone shared it somewhere. I don't remember where. Deshaun Jackson led the league in yards per catch. In two of the three years, he was with McVeigh in Washington. So it makes perfect sense those two want to get back together. Be interesting to see if Jackson can reclaim that magic after two years. After two somewhat injury-riddled years with little production, around 200 yards in the last two seasons each. Hopefully he can improve on that. If he stays healthy, he will, obviously. An update on the odds. Right now, the Super Bowl odds, the Rams are fifth in the pecking order behind the Chiefs, 
Buccaneers, Packers, and Bills. Rams are at plus 1,200. After the Rams come the Ravens, and then the Niners at plus 1,500. Seattle is in a group of Four teams, Seattle, Dallas, New Orleans, and Miami, all at plus 2,500. So the Rams remain the favorite to win the division and the most likely of the four to win the Super Bowl. Get you quickly caught up on the cap. It's very confusing. The NFL Players Association reports the Rams at 17 under the cap. Over the cap has the Rams 10 million under the cap. And Sport Track has the Rams 5 million over. I think the discrepancy is due to when these different entities are capturing the data. I suspect SportTrack is not capturing things until they're officially reported, whereas perhaps the other two are getting a little bit ahead of the train. But we do know some restructuring has already occurred. Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Jalen Ramsey have all restructured. Andrew Whitworth took a $3 million pay cut. The thing we're a little uncertain on is Stafford's restructuring. Has that occurred? And if it has occurred, has it been reported? Who has captured that data among those three entities I mentioned a second ago? Bottom line, Rams are squared away with the cap at this time. Not sure how much cash they have to spend to go get a couple of veterans to fill holes in their roster, center, linebacker, Defensive line come to mind, maybe a cornerback, or are they going to sit tight and wait things out for the draft? Next up, we'll get to our four questions, followed by our sports pet peeve of the week, and then our positional analysis, the Rams inside linebackers. Time for our four questions segment. Let's get right into it. Question number one. Right now, who do the Rams draft at 57? That's the Rams' first pick. It is in the second round, 57th overall. And what are the possibilities? The possibilities are that vertical threat. How long is Deshaun Jackson going to be around after all? It could be a tackle to replace Andrew Whitworth down the road. Could be a linebacker, and the reason I say linebacker is Les Snead has been very good at drafting positions that are going to be impacted by free agency the following year. Gives a guy a year to kind of redshirt. We've seen that along the offensive line. We've seen that we've seen that at tight end this past year. So I could see them picking a linebacker because the Rams have four linebackers in the middle there that are either unrestricted or restricted free agents next year. And it could be cornerback. I think the Rams have their three starters identified if we're counting on David Long, but they are a little thin at the cornerback position. If they have a stud cornerback identified and available at that 57 spot, they may jump all over it. But I'm going with center. In years past, I've been one of the naysayers when mock drafts come out showing the Rams picking one, two, even three offensive line. But this is the one year I think they could go with center. That could change if Austin Blythe gets signed by the Rams, of course. But for right now, I'm going with center. Question two, what is my pecking order 
in the NFC West right now. And my pecking order pretty much aligns with Super Bowl odds makers right now. You get the Rams, followed by the Niners, Seahawks, and Cardinals. The Rams are the most balanced team in the division. Solid roster, solid leadership, great coaching, now with a really good quarterback. The Niners will be a force to be reckoned with of all their guys coming back from injury. The Seahawks, you know, I never count them out, but they seem to be in more disarray than ever. How is that coaching staff going to function with Russell Wilson moving forward? The Cardinals, the Cardinals are the Cardinals. They've made some significant improvements on defense, but until I see it, I'm not a believer. I'm not as big a fan of Kyler Murray as others. I think he's a great dual threat quarterback, but if you take that threat away, that running threat, or if he tweaks his ankle, it's pretty much all over for that offense. Question number three, which Ram receiver will have the most TDs in this upcoming season? A lot of people are going to jump all over that Deshaun Jackson signing and say he's the guy. I think he's going to provide that vertical threat, stretch the defense for sure. I don't know if that's going to translate into a lot of TDs. I think Van Jefferson is going to be the fourth option now. I think he's going to pile up some yardage, though. He's going to get some action. But I still think it's going to be Cup or Woods. I think Deshaun Jackson is going to create space for those guys. So I think it's either Cup or Woods. I'm going to go with Cup. Kind of a coin flip. I guess at this point, that's my guess, Cooper Cup. Question four. Who will be the Rams' ideal home opener this upcoming season? Well, let's look at the candidates. Three I'm going to scratch off the list right away. Divisional opponents, Seattle, Arizona, San Francisco. I don't want any one of them in here for the home opener. And remember, this is the ideal home opener, not the most interesting or the greatest matchup from a fan's perspective, from my perspective, who is the ideal opponent for the Rams. And I don't want to see any of those three divisional opponents for our home opener. Two candidates I want to wipe off the list as well, the Titans and the Buccaneers. Those are going to be two great matchups. Can't wait to see them, but I don't want them coming in here for a home opener. I want to come out with a win. Who does that leave? It leaves the Jaguars, Lions, and Bears. Sounds like the Wizard of Oz here for a moment. I don't want the Jaguars for a home opener for a couple reasons. One, they're vastly improved being led by Trevor Lawrence in all likelihood. And two, they have a new coaching staff. That coaching staff is going to have a pretty good gauge on what the Rams do. But the Jaguars are going to be an unknown quantity at that point. I do not want to see them for that reason. They could be a pretty good team as well. The Lions and Bears, certainly neither of those two teams scare me. Jared Goff leading the Lions. It adds a little bit of a curiosity effect to that game. The Bears, however, are going to bring a lot of fans into that stadium, and that's another thing I don't want to see. I'm sure Stan Kroenke wants a sellout, but those teams with a big following coming into SoFi, yeah, it's going to pack the stadium. I think the stadium's going to be packed regardless. So I'm going to go with the Lions. I think that's a game the Rams should certainly win. And there won't be a giant 
swarm of Lion fans coming into that stadium. I mean, there will be some Lions fans, obviously. I'm sure there's a, a significant number of Detroit Lions fans in Los Angeles, but not to the level of the Bears and some of these other teams. So that's my choice, the Lions. That's our four questions for this week. If you have a question or questions you would like us to address, go to ramsup.com or laramsup.com, same place. Fill out the contact form, send us some questions, and we will take a look at them. Time for our Sports Pet Peeve of the Week. Quick reminder, we call this the Sports Pet Peeve of the Week for a reason. Sometimes we go outside the football zone, and that's what we're doing here. We're going to discuss a silly NCAA basketball rule, a rule that reared its ugly head recently in the round of 32 March Madness game between West Virginia and Syracuse. Set the table for you. Syracuse is up by a handful of points late in the game. West Virginia responds with a full-court press. Try to trap Syracuse on their end. Remember, Syracuse has 10 seconds to get it across half-court. West Virginia's uh, trap works pretty well, but after 7 seconds, Syracuse simply calls a timeout. So the result of that is, by the current rule, Syracuse inbounds the ball again, with another 10 seconds to get it across half court. So in essence, West Virginia is penalized. They're trying to preserve time to make their comeback. And essentially, Syracuse is allowed to burn off an extra seven seconds because of the fact they had a timeout reserve and they were unable to get the ball across midcourt. Seems to me the sensible rule would be, in this situation, in this example presented, Syracuse would have three seconds left to get it across midcourt. It's just a strange rule. Inappropriately rewards a team, in this case Syracuse, and penalizes a team that was pulling off their half-court trap pretty well. Silly rule. They need to change it. Time for another positional analysis. This week, it's inside linebacker. Let's take a quick look at the guys the Rams have coming back. Micah Kaiser, 6 feet 240, drafted out of Virginia in 2018 in the fifth round. Solid against the run, struggles in coverage, has, has had some injury issues that have provided opportunities for some of his teammates. He had one standout game against Philadelphia that we all remember, 16 tackles, Defensive Player of the Week. But he also had his struggles, and he will be an unrestricted free agent next year. Kenny Young came over in that Marcus Peters trade, 6'1", 235, on the field for 46% of the Rams' defensive snaps last year. Probably one of the better linebackers in coverage. He had that one big play we all remember against Tampa Bay, the pick six. Certainly a play that will make it on the Rams' highlight reel. Then there's Justin Hollins. He'll be under contract through the next couple years. 
more of a will guy, 6'5", 248. He was a fifth-round pick by Denver in 2019. Rams picked him up on waivers before the start of last season. He was only on the field for 34% of defensive snaps, 28 tackles, one sack. Then there's Troy Reader, the 2019 undrafted free agent. 6'3", 245, played 41% of defensive snaps last year, took advantage of Kaiser's injury, had that big game against Washington with three sacks. Of all these four, Reader is the one who I think has improved the most and has really flashed like a solid, complete linebacker at this point in his career. Then there's Trevin Howard coming back, uh, seventh-round draft pick in 2018. He was out all last year with an injury, six feet, 220. I really don't know how the Rams would utilize him. He was listed as one of the starting inside linebackers before the injury. We can assume that he would try to retake that rollback from Kenny Young or Troy Reader and or Kaiser. One thing that's important to note is Les Snead has a history of drafting at positions that will be impacted the following season in free agency, and that certainly seems to be the case with middle linebacker, with Kaiser and Young, both unrestricted free agents after this upcoming season, and Reader, a restricted free agent. Snead's going to draft a, a linebacker, a middle linebacker, at some point in this draft. The question is, does he want to draft that impact player in the second or third round, or does he want to draft someone in the sixth or seventh round and develop them for the eventual departure of Kaiser and or Young? My guess is the Rams are probably going to move around in the draft a little bit, try to accumulate a couple extra picks, and in doing so, that would enable them to maybe draft a linebacker early and late. What's a little little frustrating with the Rams is their linebacker play has always been adequate, but our rivals in this division, the Niners and Seahawks specifically, have a history of just running incredible linebackers out there year after year after year. Seattle's Bobby Wagner, one of the best linebackers of our lifetime, and surrounding him with a couple of other good linebackers has resulted in a very good unit there year after year after year. And with San Francisco, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, and now Fred Warner, all excellent linebackers. Rams certainly have have had better running backs and wide receivers and defensive linemen, but it would be nice if for once we could bring in a splash linebacker, a guy that runs sideline to sideline, diagnoses plays, intelligent, makes the tackles, covers running backs and tight ends, one of those do-it-all linebackers that maybe even has a potential pro ball in his future. And there are a couple guys in the draft that are that will be potentially available for the Rams in the second, potentially even the third round. There's four guys I'd like to briefly mention as candidates. They are Jamin Davis, six foot four inches out of Kentucky, 224 pounds. Zavin Collins out of Tulsa, 6'4 and 260 pounds. Jabril Cox, LSU, 6'3, 229. And Dylan Moses, Alabama, 6'3, 235. All of these guys, in my opinion, have the potential to be true impact linebackers. Collins, especially, this guy is a beast for that size, 6'4 and 260. 
the speed and athleticism, the intelligence, the versatility that he brings, he would be a game changer for this Ram defense that already is elite on the front end and excellent on the back end. If they added a guy like this in the middle, wow, it would it would truly be a new day for this Ram defense. The number one defense in the league, adding a guy like that, it would be really exciting. Another guy, Jamin Davis, he's a tackling machine. I don't know if he's the highlight reel waiting to happen like Zabin Collins is. He's got some really good tape, but unfortunately, he's really only got one year of tape at Kentucky. So there's a little bit of risk there, but he's a guy that will probably be there in the second round. Jubril Cox out of LSU is one of those pursuit guys, sideline to sideline. He's also a great diagnoser. He's even better in coverage than he is against the run, and that's not to say he's not good against the run because he is. Dylan Moses, the guy out of Alabama. You know, you play for one of the best programs in the country in the middle of that defense at Alabama. He's played all three linebacker spots. He's super athletic. Tons of experience against high-level competition. He's a guy that could step in and start right away. The tough thing about predicting what the Rams might do is the drafting of linebacker is very difficult to predict. I've seen mock drafts of some of these guys going in the first round, some of them following all the way to the fourth. So who's really going to be there in the second and third round? We don't know. Some other positions, it's a little bit easier to predict. But guys like Zabin Collins could be gone in the first round. He could still be there late in the second. Same with Jamin Davis. I think Moses and Cox will both be there late in the second, potentially the third. But Collins and Davis... The Rams will have to grab those guys in the second round. Uh, they will not be there in the third. The question, again, is are they willing to wait to grab a linebacker in the third or fourth round and grab that center or cornerback first? Obviously, it's what the Rams think is their priority. With a great defensive line like they have, do they really need high-caliber linebackers? Or is it more important to go grab those cornerbacks and a center or guard So we'll see. We'll take a closer look at the overall draft prognosis as we get closer to the actual draft. That's going to do it for this episode. Once again, reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com and visit our website, ramsup.com. We'll see you in a week. And remember, keep the horns up, be safe, and have fun out there.